0: Welcome to the 501 Companion Podcast. This is an educational and news podcast slash podcast for 501c3 charities and organizations that want to create better content, optimize their technology, and improve their marketing to better serve their mission. This is episode 23. It is actually the very first show of 2022, and I could not be more excited. My name is Buddy I'm the Chief Content Officer for the 501 Companion Podcast. And if you're watching on video, you might notice someone special on the screen. That's because this year we're going to assume doing something incredibly cool and special. Uh, We've brought a new co-host on, her name is Sandra Minuti. we call her Sandy. She's the Chief Operating Officer at Family Promise. She is a versatile nonprofit executive with 20 plus years of extensive experience in public relations, marketing, fundraising, and strategic planning, all in the nonprofit sector. She is deeply committed to advancing a vibrant and healthy philanthropic marketplace in which charities have the necessary skills and resources. Resources to solve our community's most pressing issues, which makes you the perfect co-host for 2022. Sandy, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. I'm excited to be
0: here. We're excited to have you. Isn't it weird when somebody reads your bio?
1: yes it's awkward
0: (laughs) it's awkward but you go wow who is this person i do
1: that yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) you have been in this business for 20 plus years i mean i think i must have met you about 10 years ago but you you've been in this business a long time first of all what what
1: is family promise so family promise is a national non-profit we're a federated model um we have roughly 200 Family Promise locations across the country. And the primary service that we provide is we help families that are at risk of or experiencing homelessness. We provide emergency shelter. We do work upstream to help prevent families, say they get an eviction notice. Can we do something to keep them from becoming homeless and coming to our shelter? And then also on the back end, how can we help families stay uh, stably housed long term? So we do a lot and we do it lean and mean like most nonprofits. um, And I'm really proud of of the affiliates that I get to work with. Now, Sadie, where can they
0: find uh, all of the resources for Family Promise? This way people who are listening in know where to check things out.
1: Familypromise.org.
0: That's it. Like that's like the hub for everything, right? (laughs) Yes, it's actually a really good website. I have to say Uh, your team put together a fantastic website. Your mission is clear. The team is clear. It it, it really it strikes me as a very credible resource. And I think uh, this year we'll be unpacking a little bit of that as we talk about how charities can level up. I think one of the things that we talked about as we were talking about having you join us was the work that you've done with other charities to help them to level up, to seem more credible. Is that that an ongoing challenge for many 501c3 organizations?
1: I think so. I think because we're so committed and passionate about, helping to make the world a better place. We don't always stop and think you're still running a small business, sometimes a big, large business, right. In the case of the red cross. Um, And so you still have to do all those other things. And oftentimes websites are something that, you know, get pushed to the wayside, especially if you're not doing a lot of online donations, maybe you're really, you know, a lot of our affiliates are very entrenched in the community and have those personal one-on-one connections. So they're not getting one off online donations. And so the website sometimes isn't the the first thing they think about in the morning they're thinking about those families they want to help. So one of the things we've been able to do out of the national office, which is where I work is to create a template for, for the websites through the Wix platform, which is really economically uh, friendly for nonprofits. Um, And then they just are able to plug and play, um, With the content that they want to provide at the local level. So um, we are working on leveling everybody up. So it's not like some random website without our branding. You know, I even have here, um, we've done a lot. So with branding, um, make sure that all of our affiliates know what the colors are, how to do those colors in HTML, um, all those things that you don't always think about, but it makes an impression and lends credibility to the work that you do and hopefully brings in more resources then.
0: What's funny is you say the what you don't think. You know, the things you don't think of, which is funny because that's all I think about in my day job. I'm preaching to right. the choir. <laughs> right. Whereas, you know, I come to this as a technologist. You come to this, which I, let's just get into your amazing personal history. You have this secret origin, which is to me uh, funny because you, you, you studied biology. You had a degree. You were working as a scientist, but like took a crazy... Uh, Right turn just give us a give us that secret origin what did you study in university and then what did you start out doing and then what was that crazy turn that made you become so interested in uh, charitable organizations.
1: Yeah. So, um, I studied marine science and biology at the university of Miami because I wanted to make the world a better place and understand science and, you know, see how we could protect the environment. Um, and then I came out of, out of school and needed a job. And I had worked over the summer as a microbiologist at Colgate Palmolive. And they offered me a job if I moved back home and went back into the lab. Um, and I did that for a number of years and, um, one of the great things about working in the for-profit sector is they usually pay for professional development they paid for my mba which was very generous. not bad and yeah I promptly left but um, i left because uh, one of my professors at rutgers when i was getting my mba was really focused on arts marketing and i thought well i really maybe would like to combine my passion for science and museums and and pivot to that um so after i got my masters degree i worked at a local museum for a period of time and then there was this new um nonprofit uh that was in existence only a short period of time called charity navigator um and they rated charities and um I was fortunate enough to get a job there and I wound up staying about 16 years and I learned how to apply. All those things I had learned along the way um, to help donors make informed decisions and also, I like to believe, help uh, nonprofits level up.
0: So That was actually where uh, we first got connected at Charity Navigator. We were doing some charitable work. I'm wondering, have you ever reflected on what your studies and experience as a scientist um, have brought to this uh, very special calling uh, that you've been doing for 20 plus years.
1: Yeah, I definitely think um, it's helped me be more data focused. And I think the sector is going in that direction and not just output data, but outcome. Can we say that an intervention that family promise provides keeps a family Stably housed longer um, if we do it a certain way. Um, mm. So I try to bring that lens to my work. That that's hard, um, you know. At, at at Charity Navigator, we said that was like the holy grail. You know, can you evaluate the effectiveness of the work that's being done? But if we don't do that, we don't know if we're making the world a better place. So I think I bring that lens to my work, um, and just you know, I enjoy my my work and the people that I get to work with um, every day. So it's just um to go back to
0: that for a minute so you you try to quantify the work that you do what are some of the what are some of the the data points that you might use but also what are the data points that might be misused which might be like red herring data
1: I think all too often in the nonprofit sector, we focus on the number of people served, the animals saved, the trees planted, Mm -hmm. um, and donors, rightly so, and and charity navigators sometimes get blamed for this, want to know, well, what was the cost per tree? Um, What was the cost per family? And that matters. Um, But ultimately, if we're not providing effective solutions that are long-term, then none of that matters. It doesn't matter if it costs $2, $200 if we're not bringing the solutions to bear, then there's no point in any of this. So I think it's important to hold ourselves accountable in the sector and also to prove to donors that we're worthy of that investment and that we can scale up and do more work. We really need to get to that point where we're measuring outcomes. Um, There's lots of talk in the sector about theory of change. So mm. what is it that you're trying to accomplish? And then working back, how do we get there? And how do we prove that we've accomplished the things that we set out to do? And it's, it's complicated. It's not easy to get that data. Right now, my affiliates are um, contributing to the national office a whole bunch of data about their work last year, but doesn't get so far to outcomes. It's mainly outputs. How many people were served in each program area, um, which is also useful information to have, but we're looking to do some more evaluation studies where we follow families over time to see, you know, how the different services we provide change their lives.
0: Yeah, I would imagine it's, you know, these are they're people. They're not data points. Yeah. So the impact that that uh, influence is really what I would imagine people are 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 opening their checkbooks for. And yeah. You know, I would imagine there are people who've had personal experiences that that cause them to say, I, I'm now in a position to help. How do you best manage those expectations among the people who are opening their wallets? Because, you know, and it's totally valid. Some people might do it because it's a, you know, it's a great way to uh, help and it's a good tax write off. And then there's other people who've had a had a had a, a formative experience, maybe with homelessness, where they're like, I, I now want to help others. you just talk a little bit about balancing that mission and goal that you have?
1: Yeah, I think um, I always think of it, people give with their heart first. And then with their head on some level and it depends on the donor, how much data they're going to want to know and how many reports they're going to want from you. Um, but we have to lead with the heart. And so it's great to have somebody that can really do that communications, marketing, PR, mm-hmm. social media work, because you need to share those stories. Um, but once you have the donors in the door, then you need to prove to them that that what you're doing is making a difference in the world. Um, There's nothing wrong with giving either for the tax benefit of it, right? I think that those are really important strategies that we have in America and and I, definitely advocate that we keep the charitable tax deduction. Um, when I was at Charity Navigator, by far the biggest day of donations of the year was New Year's Eve. And, you know, people maybe were only making a $50 donation. So, I, you know, they're not deducting that off their taxes, but it's just yeah. the subconscious thought of that. Um, it makes a big influence on the sector.
0: I think understanding the psychology of what makes people I I never knew that that was the biggest donation of the year. That's a fascinating.
1: Biggest day, biggest online donation day of the year. Yes. December is the biggest month of the year and New Year's Eve is the biggest day of the year. So I'm always telling the nonprofits I work with that you have to be sending emails out on New Year's Eve, not just one, but multiple, making sure that you're at the front of the inbox when that person decides they want to give
0: Wow, what a great idea at 11 o'clock
1: at night, you know, you want to be the one
0: (laughs) might as well, if they're going to click the button might as well be your charity. Now, you know, you mentioned Charity Navigator, it it was a site that where you and I sort of got connected. First, explain what Charity Navigator does, uh, and what your role was, and then we'll unpack uh, the influence that you had and what it had on you. So first, what is the uh, organization? What did you do there?
1: So, Charity Navigator is a nonprofit itself, and it rates other nonprofits, primarily based on their uh, finances, that's how we started. Then we started looking into things around accountability and transparency. So, um, does the organization have a whistleblower policy? Are they taking notes and minutes in their board meetings? all those kind of best practices that the IRS had identified over the years as good ways to prevent fraud in the nonprofit sector. Um, Since I've left the organization, they've really broadened the things that they're looking at. Um, I think they've even uh, started now to look into issues around DEIA and if nonprofits are doing that work, diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. Um, So they've really broadened the things that they're looking at, but the, the concept there is to provide a free tool for donors so that they can see when they're being called by their heart is that a good nonprofit to invest in and it's not meant to be splitting hairs or ranking uh, nonprofits one over the other it's just meant to be that you want to do that check make sure that if you're going to give generously that the nonprofit is you know being um Careful with the funding that you give them, um, and it's a proxy for showing that they're having the outcomes that you want.
0: Well, I've used the website to make you donations, did. yeah, for our family because you want to do something, and then you look and you, how do you you can't help but look at a starred rating, and, yeah. and and I would hope that organizations that are not rated as highly as they'd like to be look at this as an opportunity to increase their rating.
1: Yeah. Certainly I had conversations with unhappy nonprofits over the years when I told them their rating was not going to be great, but um, definitely more of those conversations of, you know, I knew I needed to fix this. Now that you put it out in the public forum, I really have to fix, you know, it, it, it gave them the motivation to make some changes that needed to be made. Um, I'm really excited that I get to work at Family Promise because we have a four-star rating and we have for like nine years straight. So that. That makes me feel good that I'm a good good
0: nonprofit. So what was your role at Charity Navigator?
1: So I started off as an analyst, actually rating uh, nonprofits, which gave me, you know, all the behind the scenes information to how our database was structured, what the work was like, what nonprofits are good and bad. Um, But then I also got to evolve into... I had a ridiculous title there. I was vice president of marketing and CFO. So like many small nonprofits, I got to wear multiple hats. Um, And in grad school, I had studied marketing and finance. So that kind of worked out well. Um, And so I had a great time doing the PR and marketing piece. We didn't have a lot of money, but um, we seemed to do fairly well with reporters. Um, And I even got to do some TV along the way, and that was fun. And and it's funny that you were asking me, you know, where people can go to learn more information about Family Promise because the first time I was on CNN, I, I just inserted in every statement I made, CharityNavigator.org is where you could go to find more information. And at the end, the producer said, "Next time, you don't have to say that so much. Well, make sure it's underneath your name on the screen, you know." So that was a good lesson to learn, but. Yeah.
0: So, what else did you learn there at Charity Navigator that you've brought forward at uh, a Family Promise?
1: Just so much about how nonprofits operate and what best practices are in the sector. And then I try to impart that uh, into my team. They have a lot of that knowledge themselves and then out to the affiliates that we support across the country. Because, again, they're focused on helping the families and don't always have the time or the bandwidth to do everything else that has to get done when you're running a nonprofit. Um, And so that's really what my team does here at family promise. And I learned all that at charity navigator.
0: You know, what I really liked about the website uh, for family promise was that you went to the team. There were pictures of everybody. It was alpha order by last name, it wasn't CEO on the top, like you guys um, showed everybody's face, and then you can see a bio. Um, Why was this important for your organization to go to this a lot of effort put into that website why was that important
1: we just um actually overhauled it kara who um is our chief impact officer i love that title too right she she does the fundraising and the communications but that speaks to where we're going right like we're trying to have an impact um and she she um was very intentional about the pictures we we all use the same tools to take our pictures so that we all looked Similar, um, And just to be transparent and, um, and open with everybody about who's here on staff what their backgrounds are like we, we are trying to be more intentional about adding people with lived expertise to our team both at the national level and out in the field. So um, that would be people that have experienced homelessness at some point. Maybe they worked, they got help from Family Promise, maybe they didn't. Um, But having those voices and having a diversity of voices in the work that we do is really important. And so I hope that we communicate some of that through that page.
0: Not only did you communicate that through the page, uh, but the area, like I had said, you know, you you had all the headshots. Um, It made every person who is working at Family Promise seem really relevant and like they are they were there. You can see their face and that has to help them because certainly, uh, and everyone who's listening knows this, you don't pursue a career in this thinking you're going to become wealthy, right? You have a mission and you've talked about that. Um, do you think that That is something that um, you brought from Charity Navigator that you saw when you thought, well, how do I make this website more inviting? And how do I make the people who are working on it feel more fulfilled?
1: Yeah, and that's something that we did at Charity Navigator, too. And I know a lot of websites don't disclose their full staff in that way, um, but it's helpful. It, it gives the public a level of trust in who we are, knowing who we are, um, and we're not hiding behind a website. Um, you know, we can get those angry phone calls. if, it, if You don't even put your extension right there, right we on your do. picture. We do. I think we finally had to hide our email addresses because of those pesky robots. Um, yeah which you could probably speak to more. Um, but yeah, I, I think I learned a lot about, um, websites when I was at uh, charity navigator, cause that was where we existed. We were just a website. Right. Um, it's not as relevant in all the work that we do at family promise because we're more than a website, but it's definitely still relevant. We, I, before you and I talked today, we had a call with a vendor who, um, sells, uh, data analytics for websites where we used to use this as a cherry navigate where you could see people click through your site and you can see on the pathway to making a donation, where are people dropping off? And so then, you know, that page needs to be changed and then you can Mm -hmm. A, B test that and do all these fancy, cool things. Right.
0: So talk to me a little bit about, um, your organization, uh, what the pandemic meant, um, right. Everybody started working remotely. Um, and many of us who have, uh, the benefit, the luxury of jobs where we could work from home. Um, but also not everybody had a home. And I'm wondering what the impact of the pandemic was on the people that you serve and also how you serve them.
1: Yeah. Everything changed right for everybody overnight. Um, my team specifically was already pretty remote. So, mm-hmm. um, that was one of the things that changed actually in the first couple of years that I came here family promise. We, we became a more remote operation partly from some of the things that I had learned at being a cherry navigator, cause we were very remote. Um, so we were well positioned to make that pivot. Thankfully, um, it was a whole new ball game though, for our affiliates. Um, they're not necessarily using the cloud that maybe they're still taking all their client data on paper. Um, you know, it was a a big adjustment for them. I think on a positive note, previously when we'd want to do trainings with affiliate boards, you know, they didn't want to get on Zoom. We'd have to fly to their location and do all the training. And now we can, um, much more financially efficiently provide those services to our affiliates, which is nice. Um, it shut down our emergency shelter overnight across the country, because the way we shelter families primarily is to work with congregations in the community. And so families will stay at a church or a synagogue or a mosque in the evening. The congregates come provide the food. They hang out with the families. Um, I've done this at my congregation, Um, it's it's a really great experience, but that wasn't safe anymore. Um, So affiliates, they're scrappy and um, really entrepreneurial, and so they found new models and they figured it out. Um, The local affiliate here where I'm at used apartments and was able to really leverage their relationships with uh, landlords to put families in apartments and pay those fees. Um, There was a lot of government money that came through. So a lot of affiliates were able to leverage um, relationships they had with hotels, put families in hotels. Um, Some people used Airbnbs. Some people had board members that gave up, you know, side homes. Um, So everybody got creative. Um, I think it's causing our affiliates to really rethink shelter models moving forward. And they're going to be more likely to have space that they own, that they can put families in and not rely on the congregations anymore. Um, Some congregations, you know, their numbers are failing because of COVID. And so we're able to work with them to take over some of their space and keep that as like a static site. So it all changed overnight. We were predicting a tsunami of evictions that just hasn't happened um, because we had the moratoriums. Um, But what happened was it got even harder to place families that were ready to leave shelter into housing because nobody was being evicted. So there was no new new opportunities for apartments coming onto the market. I mean, it's a very sick kind of thing. Right. Right. So that's the biggest issue right now for, for the work that we do. There's not enough affordable housing across the country everywhere. Um, and we've all seen the prices go through the roof, um, for rent and housing. Um, so that's that's the primary thing. If we could get more affordable housing, you know, of course, we could solve the the homelessness crisis in America.
0: Well, I, I have to I have this vision in my mind of your staff with two phones against their ears, trying like in the in the early chaotic days of the pandemic, I, I worked at a technology company, so it wasn't that big of a pivot like we this we were used to working remotely because people are all over the the world we would dial in all over the world and yet that's not your world, right? You deal on right. a on a on a hyper local level with every family that you can't just dial somebody into a, a location where there's an open house if they're not available, right? Like what was it like? Right.
1: Right. And what
0: was what were the pivots that your team was making?
1: Yeah, we definitely worked a lot of long hours. Um, one positive thing is it really shined a light on poverty in America. And so much more resources, both from the government and from individual donors, you know, came into the work that we're doing, um, which was very helpful. Um it was definitely a challenge for our case managers and and folks in the field because they're very empathetic people. They enjoy working with people one-on-one and now they had to do it over the phone or over zoom and, and never having done that before. And they had to create new ways to do intake online through forms, again, something they probably hadn't done before. So it was stressful and challenging for the staff and you're right. Demand went up and the need was great. Um, we were able to get um, some funders make investments, some corporate funders make investments in our efforts to expand into prevention and diversion. So we were able to give some money to affiliates and train them up in how to do that work, um, which is fascinating work to me. It's, it's, when somebody calls and says, I'm about to be homeless, you can say, what's going on? How can we keep, if, if you're in a safe place, how can we, what can we do to keep you there for a couple of weeks while we find out, find another way for you moving forward? You know, are you staying with grandma and she's just at her wit's end? Can we, you know, do something to to pave the road that you can stay a couple more weeks or, or what is the solution? There's not always a solution there, but more times than not, there has been. And that's been a really great tool for us. But yeah, it was a and continues to be a stressful time for our affiliates with this latest COVID wave. Um, A lot of them have had to shut down again. Many of them are pretty small operations. So when two people on staff get sick, there's not, there's not depth in staff to keep things running. So um, that's an ongoing challenge too, which every business is dealing with though.
0: (laughs) Everybody's dealing with, but when you think about, um, the challenges that your team faced and, and, you know, we came out of the pandemic for a little while, right? It's different now. Um, What would you say you're most proud of uh, in terms of what your team accomplished during this time period?
1: My team specifically did a hard pivot. So most of my team is used to being out in the field, working with affiliates. Most of them were directors or case managers, social workers. So they have that empathetic relationship, um, in their DNA, that's just who they are. So they had a. They couldn't go out in the field and work with people one-on-one anymore. And they had to like start writing advisories and doing research into COVID and teaching our affiliates like, okay, everybody needs to wear a mask and this is where you can find tests, And, you know, like it just fundamentally changed their work overnight. And I'm so proud that they did that. And they didn't complain, even though they didn't probably like it, (laughs) nobody complained. They wanted to see what they could do to help get our affiliates through this, this crisis. So,
0: Wow. That's a lot to be proud of. And yeah. I, yeah, listen, I have to just tell you, like, I got to chill up my, my spine thinking about like how people, uh, need you at the, at the, at the worst time of their life and, uh, COVID or not. Uh, and you're, you're, Your team is there for them uh, to help them figure out a solution. There's a lot of soft skills involved with that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, And just having empathy for the families that we work with. I mean, think about a single mom with three kids and she can't go to work because her kids are all at home being schooled and she can't afford daycare for them. You know, like it just everything was flipped on its head overnight.
0: Overnight and and every scenario when the people are thinking that they might be losing their their, the roof over their head is is terrifying. Yeah. So um, and that's that's where, um, you know, I'm really excited that you're you're joining our team here uh, because I feel like you have the empathy of understanding what it is like for people who come in with a passion and a vision who want to run a great organization and want to make it better. And I think this season, uh, your perspective will be invaluable to the people who've been enjoying our podcast for the past year or two.
1: I'm glad to be a part of it. So,
0: um, where can they find you if they want to follow you on any social platforms?
1: Mm -hmm. I don't even know my Twitter handle. This is bad. I will have it next time. I should know right. on my, on my screen here, just like you did.
0: <laughs> oh, I, I did. It, I will, I will tell you your, your, um, your Twitter handle is your full name. <laughs> it is uh, Sandra Minuti, So people could find you on Twitter. at Sandra Minuti. Uh, you actually tweeted today. So I know that you're on there and you're <laughs> also really, on LinkedIn. Me. I don't yeah. do a lot of
1: fresh content. It's It's something I have to work on in the new year.
0: Well, and I hope that, um, and people can also find you on LinkedIn. I know you're pretty active on LinkedIn as well, right? Yeah. Um, And then one one more time for the... uh, for the listeners, where can they find uh, your charity?
1: FamilyPromise.org. And again, we're in 200 communities across the country and lots of opportunities to volunteer, even in virtual safe settings if you're not comfortable going in person. Um, and we have a tool that I helped build when I got here mm. <laughs> for, for making connections locally and seeing what volunteer opportunities are available in your community. What, so what is this tool? Um, so there's a there's a page on our site if you're interested in volunteering you can go in and put in your zip code and the things that you're interested in doing and it'll tell you what your local affiliate is and if you match with those opportunities and Did
0: you help now develop? we even have
1: online training that's something that we started last year volunteers can get trained online on demand and we're moving along we're almost modern now
0: <laughs> <laughs> almost modern that actually sounds post-modern that that is fantastic i, I hope people go and check that out so um Thank you so much for joining us um, and for being a co-host on the show. I'm super excited to have you. Um, my name is Buddy Sclair and people can find me on all places at Buddy Scalera. Uh, My website is BuddyScalera.com, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. I'm very creative, Sandy, very, very creative, at least consistent. And they can find this podcast on 501c3lookup.org, which just rolls right off the tongue. Uh, And we hope that you've enjoyed the 501 Companion Podcast and consider subscribing so you never miss an episode. If you have any questions, show ideas, or part of a charitable organization that wants to be on the show, visit 50c3lookup.org website. You'll find our contact information, a complete list of our previous episodes, and of course, the extensive and free resources of the 501c3lookup website. Thanks for joining us on the 501 Companion Podcast. We hope you join us again next week for the information and inspiration to take your charitable mission to the next level. Good night, everybody.